0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory.
0: In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory.
1: I'm Sharunik Bosu.
0: And I'm Kim Adams.
1: We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. We have
0: arrived. Where have we arrived? We have arrived at our 100th episode. I was really hoping that for our 100th episode, I could be high, but...
1: Well, it's hard to believe, but it's true. This is our 100th episode and we are so thankful for our partner, the New Books Network, for our amazing collaborators, Julia Irin Modens and Nathan Kim, who helped us so much over the summer.
0: And we are thankful for our brilliant listeners, of whom there are more every week. Please keep listening to the High Theory Podcast. And if you like our work, please consider writing us a review on any platform of your choice. Thank you so much for being our friends. Welcome to High Theory. Today, I'm speaking with Sharonik Bosu about public humanities. Sharonik, can you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes, I can. My name is Sharonik Bosu. I'm a seventh doctoral candidate at the New York University Department of English. My dissertation is on economic thought and literary rhetoric in contexts of decolonization. I affiliate to, let's say, post-colonial studies and global anglophone studies writ large there. But the other part of my academic work is very much public humanities.
0: Cool. So that means that you are the right person to answer the question, what the heck is the public humanities?
1: It's the next frontier. <laughs> okay. Now, that sounds triumphalist, which is not a note that I want to strike. I want to strike a jubilant note, if possible, but not a triumphalist one. Okay. But it's true that there has been like a slew of publications on public humanities in the last two years, which is very recent. Why is that the case? It's possible that it's due to the academic experience of the pandemic. For me personally, that's definitely been the case. I was working as coordinator for the Medical Humanities Working Group at NYU's core curriculum. And right in the middle, like exactly, I think, in the middle of our two-year project, March 2020 happened. And, you know, we scrambled to get everything online. And so this was a working group made of you and me and two other people who are literary scholars. And then Mm -hmm. I think two historians and everybody else was a physician nurse or a public health worker. And doing this work at that time, it was an incredible experience having those conversations and also having those conversations in New York City, which was at the time the epicenter of a global pandemic. There was this kind of precipitation of hyper-significances on the work that we were doing at the time. And the sense that I got from the conversations, the sense that we got from we were working towards building a curriculum. The sense that we got from students was that not only was this humanistic understanding of the experience of the pandemic something subsidiary, but it was quite necessary because otherwise you go home and stare at the wall and uh, become depressed. Okay, let me rephrase that because I don't think, you know, this is not a cure for depression.
0: Why not?
1: But I do think that a humanistic framework for understanding this experience was necessary so going back to your question
0: mm-hmm.
1: i've been doing public facing work for a while mm-hmm. but i think that was a a what of moment for me
0: okay so the public humanities is something that became more urgent during the novel coronavirus pandemic of 2019 but what is it
1: no i didn't say it became more urgent okay no i meant that I think that experience had something to do with the slew of publications.
0: Okay, so it became something that the academy realizes. Yes, it became a topic of greater importance in
1: academic yeah. discourse. I think so. yes. but what is it? Right. What is it? Okay. So when you ask me what it is, it and you know by typical fashion, I have misdirected you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of like one particular publication, I think which does a good job explaining, which is a special issue of Daedalus from the summer this year. Mm-hmm. Judith Butler has an essay in it where it talks about how the main reason why the humanities are underfunded is because you know it has the power to challenge the hegemony of neoliberalism, its market metrics, and financial rationality. That's a quote. Okay. And then how do you counter this? Again, like when I say, how do you counter this? It comes with the same usual caveats of living within capitalism, right? So, you know, it's it's not possible for us to live outside the system because it's so far-reaching. But one of the ways of resistance is you make the public a stakeholder in humanity's work. You define that public as much as is possible according to, let's say, anti neoliberal logics okay again it's very important to say that that as much as is possible because it's not always possible
0: okay so tell me what that anti-neoliberal public looks like who are they
1: the public in public humanities i have this kind of inkling that's for many it's either intimidating or it's anodyne so um if it's intimidating it's that oh my god We, you know, my committee is reading my work and now (laughs) everybody in the world has read my work. Uh, Everybody in the world is my dissertation committee. uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, The world is a reviewer too, so to speak. That's harmful. Mm -hmm. But also making it anodyne and saying that, oh, all work is public. That's also harmful, I think. Yeah. You know, so I think a good way to think about this is thinking of the public as contingent, as dependent upon your work and every work has a different public, right? Um, And uh, so, and the public, I mean, of course, like simply put the public is your audience and the public is the community whom you're speaking to through your project. So these are not customers or clients.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So you make knowledge open source and free. Mm -hmm. So it means that you take out that particular relationship. You refuse to think of your students as your customers, mm-hmm. which is something that the New Liberal University pushes. You build these things into your curricula, into your mentorship styles. And I would like to kind of highlight the work of my friend, our friend, Hannah Albert-Abrams, who recently published this workbook called Finding Your Purpose.
0: Wait, so I think we're getting into our second question. So how do I use the public humanities?
1: So how do we use public humanities we use it to reallocate funding to public programming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is like a chicken and egg thing because this these also constitute public humanities itself. So we use it to create public facing curricula that brings students in contact with public institutions. So right now, the fellowship that I am on, it sends graduate students to institutions like the Brooklyn Academy of Music or the Smithsonian or the MLA. You know, they get work experience that is not directly related to their dissertation, which is such a refreshing thing sometimes.
0: So we can use it to change doctoral education as well as undergraduate education?
1: We use it to change doctoral education. And you know, I completely agree with you. I do think that they should begin at undergraduate level. We also can use it to, you know, kind of rethink the way we think of internships in the first place.
0: Yeah, I think there's something interesting there that points back to that thing that you were saying about the public not being customers or clients it seems like the public humanities is something that reorients the relationship between the academy and the economy.
1: I completely agree. That's so well put. And so yes, even at the undergraduate level, it's something that they are interested in, not just like a pipeline for an employment that will happen years later. Some would also say, I guess, that, you know, you create incentives for public facing work, um, but I think we have to be very cautious there because I don't think it's a very good idea to make one more thing to pressure the academics, one more deliverable, one more thing in the tenure file for faculty, one more thing in the job application material.
0: Yeah, can I ask you a historical question? Yeah, You started off this conversation by saying how public humanities has become a much bigger part of the conversation in the last two years I'm curious how the idea of public humanities relates to the public intellectual of the like, mid-20th century, someone like Lionel Trilling, or even someone today who writes articles for The New Yorker. Like, How are those things different?
1: Yeah. Let me say public humanities is not the same thing as public education. I think public humanities projects, they're not about educating the public. They're about collaborating with the public.
0: That's a great answer.
1: A huge portion of the deal of the New Yorker is to make its own public. Mm-hmm. When it originated, very overtly talked about, you know, we are going to educate this public into existence for us. Obviously, it doesn't mandate anything, but at the same time, I think there is a condescension there somewhere. And I think that kind of condescension, that kind of hierarchical understanding of the relationship between the university and the public is corrosive. So I don't think that's what public humanity should be about.
0: I like the way you put it very succinctly that public humanity is about collaborating with the public, not about educating the public.
1: Right. You know this, but I'm not lying when I say that I'm a huge believer in collaborative work. I would collaborate on my dissertation if possible, (laughs) Um, but I think there is no space for ragged individualism in academia. Mm-hmm. That's the way that we get stars, and this is harmful. I've enjoyed collaborative work so much more than when I've worked by myself. Every time I talk to my colleagues, I have so many more ideas than when I sit in a room and try to write. That's a minute thing, but you magnify that, and I think you get something like Bobby Kimadis.
0: Totally. So, on that note, let me ask you our final
1: question. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> I'm on tender hooks. What will it
0: <laughs> How will public humanities save the world?
1: <laughs> I don't know. See, I'm not going to say that i it won't because I honestly don't know. And I also don't know if it will save the humanities or if it needs saving anyway.
0: But that is what people expect of it, right?
1: That is what people expect of it, but I'm unsure of the salvific language, let's say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Public humanities will make humanities work possible in a hostile world, even by adding resources.